Rich Fork, I want to begin by making sure that you are aware of a few things coming up on our church calendar in the way of announcements. Uh, the first thing is taking place this Sunday afternoon from 3 to 5 in our multi-purpose building lobby, and that is a reception for Trent and Sydney Santos. Trent has served as the student pastor here for several years, and he is going to be stepping into a new ministry role outside of Rich Fork through Off the Wall Ministries. And so we want to celebrate uh, and send them uh, into that role and celebrate with them Sunday afternoon, this Sunday from three to five. Let's honor them during that time. The other thing I want to do is say thank you. Thank you for all the school supplies that you have brought in for teachers and students for our four night, July 27th, 28th, and 29th. One of our core values that enable us to shape our community and share the grace of Jesus that we have as a church is to model obedient generosity. You have done that every single week as a church, but then also have given to special opportunities such as this. And what that does, that gives us as a staff and leadership the ability to be creative and create opportunities such as Fortnite for a hundred of our teachers and for dozens of local students to share uh, in our generosity. We're going to share some pictures with you, I'm sure, as the week goes on, as we celebrate those nights being for our teachers and students. I wanted to thank you ahead of time. And next Sunday, we will offer a few of those pictures for you as well. Now, on August 4th, uh, we will have a business meeting. Now, I know for some of you, that is a call to not come, but we want to invite you and make you aware of what that will cover. Uh, on August 4th, we will discuss our 2021 2022 nominating committee report, which gives you as a church an opportunity to know who is serving in the many, many roles each week at Rich Fork. There are a lot of you. We will also be discussing our new bylaws that we presented to you almost a month ago. We sent that to you in various formats and have made that available here at the church. By Tuesday of this week, we'll send you another email with another copy of those but also with a link that will address a few questions that we've received uh, regarding our bylaws. One of the questions that I will be addressing in a little bit longer answer than what I'm about to give you is this. How were the first three elders that are included in the bylaws selected? Quick answer, these three men were chosen unanimously by our previous deacon body and our current deacon body. So in order for us, though, to pass new bylaws, with a new officer title, elders, which replaces the trustee language, we had to, by law, have those names as a part of this document. I know that's incredibly clear, or maybe it's very muddy and not clear at all. I'll try to clear that up as we send out that video link to you in a later date. The other question that we've been asked a lot is regarding our cemetery. The question surrounds those of you who already have spots with markers and they've been selected years ago and names of family members and, and all those sensitive type of decisions. All of those arrangements will remain the same. Nothing changes. Again, that email that's gonna come on Tuesday will contain a little bit of a deeper dive into each of those questions. If you have more on August 4th, we'll discuss those items and more then on August 15th, we will vote on our 2021-2022 nominating committee report, our bylaws and articles of incorporations on that Sunday without discussion 
in all three services. Now, we have all those announcements behind us. Let's dig into our redemption story for today. But before we do that, let's pray. God, thank you for the continued stories of redemption. They have been incredible reminders for me to examine my heart, my response to the Redeemer. So God, I pray that as we consider yet another moment where we see two very different responses to redemption, that God, you will align our hearts, that you will rearrange our hearts, God, to be like Christ. God, so that we can continue to shape our community by sharing the grace of Jesus, the story of redemption, our story, your story, in Jesus' name, amen. We are seven weeks into our series on the stories of redemption. Last week, we shifted from simply declaring the stories of redemption, which had come from the Old Testament. We moved into the New Testament and the arrival of Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, in Luke chapter 2. But also, it was my prayer that as we began to shift away from the Old Testament into the New, that we would move from simply being inspired by the stories of redemption to realizing that redemption calls us, each of us, into action. Last week, we explored how do we respond to redemption. We explored three responses to the Redeemer in Luke chapter 2, that peace comes through a relationship to a Redeemer. Our first response is peace. And where does that peace come? It comes through a relationship to God through Jesus Christ. It gives us peace that is beyond reason and description. And it is for all of life, but also in our passing. We also respond to the Redeemer with a spirit of gratitude. And if we have been redeemed, we must tell others about the Redeemer. Today, I want to continue to examine our responses to the Redeemer. We will even see a little bit of a merging of that last statement there that because we're redeemed, we must tell of the Redeemer. But the most pressing question for every one of us to answer is because of the truth of Jesus as a Redeemer, the story of redemption throughout Scripture, each of us must answer this question. Do you have a relationship with the Redeemer, Jesus Christ? Do you have a relationship that delivers peace, gratitude? And today we will see redemption We'll see it, and it should deliver joy out of the example of Jesus Christ himself, a spirit of joy. Let's dig into Scripture for today. Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. Jesus is teaching the Redeemer. He is on the scene, and this entire chapter has a unified theme. Jesus is being criticized or at least examined and questioned for welcoming sinners fellowshipping with them, and he gives three distinct parables in one chapter, chapter 15. And each of these moments would have resonated with those listening in dramatically different ways. So let's set the stage in chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to him, to hear him, and the Pharisees the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Don't read through these two verses too quickly. There are a lot of clues, a lot of context given 
in these few short words. This is another moment that if we allow ourselves to do so, we'll lose sight of the significance of the teaching if we try to clean this moment up. In Gary Ingring's book on the parables, he says, the dust of centuries has often obscured for us how consistently and deliberately the Lord Jesus shocked his listeners. And this is one of those moments. The tax collectors, they were not only unpopular. One of our groups listening to this moment, they were not only unpopular, they were hated because they were employees of Rome. And the tension between Roman citizens and leaders and citizens of these regions were strained to say the least. Tax collectors were corrupt and they represented an abuse of power. Sinners. When Luke uses this word, he's not describing the most notorious of sinners. Instead, any ordinary person not committed to the pursuit of the religious law and order. They were called by the religious sinners. The other group that's given to us in verse 2 are the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, outwardly the most religious guys in town, and they would let you know it. The Pharisees are watching Jesus. He's having meals with the tax collectors and sinners. And in this time period, having a meal meant acceptance, to some even approval. The audience, these three groups, would have been filled with tension, questions, excitement, even hatred for one another, wondering why had the other one even been included in the conversation with Jesus? Have you ever had one of those moments? You show up at an event at work or a family gathering, a party with friends, and you wonder, who invited them? What are they doing here? Multiply that motion, that emotion by 10, and you have the setting that's before Jesus. Each of these stories, these parables, they display what brings joy to God the Father and what breaks his heart. But as repentance, rescue, and redemption take place in these parables, be on the lookout for these two things. What brings Jesus joy and what breaks his heart? How do we respond to the Redeemer? Luke 15, 11 through 24 says this. And he said, Jesus, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to the father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. He divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the field to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise, go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. 
I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose, came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And before he can finish, verse 22 says, but the father said to the servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Every facet of this parable would have been heard by the tax collectors, sinners, and Pharisees in a variety of ways. To the tax collector, the picture painted by the parable would possibly have provided some hope for them. Hope that even someone who had squandered their reputation, their relationships, could they be forgiven? To the common person in the community or as defined here by Luke the sinner, the non-religious, they would have been drawn to the culmination of the three parables. Jesus kept speaking of rejoicing and redemption and rescue, not religion and rules. Jesus was speaking towards a loving relationship to a father. The third group, the Pharisees, they would have been in shock. For a large part of the story, following the younger sons, simply his request for his inheritance. Because only the father in this time period would ever speak of such sensitive matters. Only the father would decide when and how to distribute property and wealth. And when the younger son took all that he had and he wasted it, landing him in a pigsty, ready to eat of the pig, the food of the pigs, according to the parable from Jesus, I believe the Pharisees would have said, Amen. He got exactly what was coming to him. If the story would have ended right there, it probably would have received a cheer from the Pharisees' corner. But Jesus continued, didn't he? In verse 17, it says, When he came to himself, when the young man came to himself, or when he came to his senses, the, the young man sees himself for what he really is. He is broke and he's broken. And here's the first reaction to redemption in our story today. Repentance. He was willing to accept his actions, his standing, and to embrace the truth. When he said, I will arise and go to my father, I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. According to the order of the day, he had forfeited his right as a son to the father when he asked for his inheritance. All he hopes for is to be a hired servant. But all of them, the tax collectors, the sinners, the Pharisees, they would have been drawn into this moment. What was Jesus going to place before them? Sinner and tax collector, feeling as if the story was all about them up until this point. The Pharisees hoping the young man is Rejected. But here's what we're going to see. Repentance restores what was broken and allows rejoicing. 
If Jesus did not have the full attention with verses 11 through 19, by verse 20 and 21, he would soon have every eye, every ear, and hopefully every heart tuned into when he said, in verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. To rightly understand this moment, you must realize men in the Middle East do not run. And this father would have been an aged landowner. Add to that the difficulty he was running in a robe. That's not an easy task, not that I've ever had occasion to try. But all of these actions signify that the father lost his dignity. He'd been asked for and given the inheritance. It had been squandered. It had been wasted. But the father's heart is filled with two things, love for his son and a desire to reach him before all the judgmental villagers do. I cannot imagine the tax collectors and sinners in awe and wonder of this picture of redemption. But I can imagine. I can imagine the anger of the Pharisees. What was Jesus trying to convey? What was at the heart of this parable? First, it's quite obvious. Repentance restores what was broken and allows rejoicing. As I asked last week and this week, do you have a relationship with the Redeemer, Jesus Christ? How do you begin this relationship? Repentance. It's the starting line. The example is clearly given in this parable. Admit your sin, allow humility to turn you toward your heavenly father who has offered his son for you and for your sinfulness and simply go to him and say, I've sinned. Whatever role, whatever relationship you have for me is better than living in a pool of guilt and weight of the past and fear and shame. And the beautiful news is this, upon our confession and the attitude of repentance, he will save you. He promises. He will rejoice over you. He will graft you into his family tree as a child of God with victory, with hope, and with freedom. Repentance restores what was broken and allows rejoicing. And Jesus in each parable in chapter 15 was declaring redemption and rescue are joyful occasions for Jesus. We can grow in this and know as well that if redemption and rescue are joyful occasions for Jesus, then they should be for us as well. Redemption and rescue are joyful occasions for followers of Jesus Christ. Yet the key to this parable is found in the verses to follow. Because Jesus is going to address the entire listening audience, the sinners, the tax collectors, and the Pharisees. If the story of the younger brother took aim at the need for repentance and unexpected rejoicing, the latter verses target the heart of the Pharisees, the older son in the story. Verse 25 through 32 give us that role. Now, his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. 
And he said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. He refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. The reality at this point, the older son would rather not have fellowship with his father than accept his father's treatment of his brother. All the older brother's frustration came seeping out of him all at once. His pride, his jealousy, even his hatred. The son says in verse 29, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a goat. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, the father said to the son, son, you were always with me and all that is mine is yours. It's fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I want to make sure you hear the distance the older son is placing between he and his father and even to his younger brother. The older brother, it seems as if he tallies up all of his good deeds, all of his obedience, all of his acts, everything that he's done, and yet he's received nothing, according to his opinion. Verse 29, he says, look. And then what does he do? He unfurls his list of accomplishments. In my reading, I hear a son that has practiced this out in the fields many, many times. Practice this list, proclaiming himself to not only be the older, but the better brother. And now he has a chance to unleash. Look. Then verse 30, the wording that Jesus uses in the parable is so powerful. The older brother says of the younger brother, when this son of yours came, not my kid brother, or he doesn't call him by name or another nickname, all of that I think is very important. He says, this son of yours, jokingly, hopefully, if you're a parent, there's been a couple of moments in a lifetime where you're at your wits end with a child and one parent says to the other, that son of yours or your daughter. It's a statement made in frustration, but in verse 30, it's made in anger, pride, and jealousy. This son of yours. He will not even dignify him with a name. Once again, the father, the father who ran to meet the son at the pigsty covered in filth, shame covered yet repentant and broken son, that same father humbles himself to the prideful older son who is yet to acknowledge his sin of jealousy and pride. He comes to him, the same father, and says, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. But even in his humility, he retells the entire story in one sentence, it is fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead 
and is alive. He was lost and is found. The sentence is full of repentance, redemption, and rejoicing. The father in the parable will not back down in his proclamation of redemption. And he will not cancel the party. Because what was dead is alive. What was lost has been found. And then the parable from Jesus comes to a halt. Talk about a cliffhanger. You got some questions, don't you? Does the older brother come to the party? Do the brothers end up hugging and walking off, eating a ribeye together, smiling and laughing? One thing we can almost guarantee, the Pharisees were not thrilled with the ending because they are the older brother. And as long as they are angry at the grace being poured out upon the sinners, they will continue to stand outside of a relationship with Jesus. To the younger brother, full of contempt, waste, selfishness, greed, and repentance, Jesus says, come home. To the older brother, full of pride, self-righteousness, jealousy, Jesus as the role of the father in the story says, it's all yours, come home. In this parable, we see what Jesus rejoices in. Repentance and redemption. But we also see what would cause Jesus' heart to ache. Those who are unwilling to trust, to surrender to him as redeemer. Jesus not only aches for the tax collectors and the sinners, signifying the non-religious and the most broken in society during that time period, but he also aches for the religious, the Pharisees. He aches because they cannot lower their pride and their to-do list long enough to see over them and watch redemption and rescue taking place from the front row. Rich Fork, may we never slip into the role of being the older brother in the story. May we never silence our rejoicing in redemption because our reaction to the repentance and redemption of others reveals our view of God and our view of our own lostness. When someone steps into redemption, we must be people who meet people where they are, walk with them, come up the road with them, introduce them to the Savior in the middle of redemption and rejoice along the way. There's so many challenges in examining these moments of redemption today. But a large one is this. Do we rejoice in what Jesus rejoices? And do we ache for those who have not met the Redeemer? We will be ineffective and unproductive in shaping our community by sharing the grace of Jesus Christ. If we forget that, we, me, each of us who have trusted in Jesus, we're no different than the younger brother coming up the road, covered in sin, broken by shame, but met by a God who covered us not in a robe, but covered us as Ephesians 1, 7 through 10 reminds us, covered by the forgiveness of the blood of Jesus Christ. And repentance restores what was broken and allows rejoicing. But in that rejoicing, we must remain humble 
never forgetting the grace poured out upon us and the offer that still stands for anyone who desires a relationship, a redeeming relationship to Jesus Christ. Do we ache for those who have not met the Redeemer? I recently had lunch with someone who shared something with me about Rich Fork, our community, and then larger than that, our county. He shared with me a few statistics about our surrounding communities. Now, I know we can get lost in numbers, but there's one number I want to ask you to allow to sink into your heart today. Let me give you a few and come back to the one. Within the 1.25 mile, five mile radius of Rich Fork, there is approximately 6,299 people. And 3,889 of those people, based on various reports and activities and data, 3,889 of those people are not followers of Jesus Christ. That's 62%. Now, 60 to 62% is fairly consistent if you take that radius out to a five-mile radius of Rich Fork and even out to our entire county. Again, these are estimates. But if they're anywhere close to correct, that would mean that 97,000 out of 167,000 people, neighbors, friends, do not claim to have an active relationship with Jesus, the Redeemer. 60%. Now, there are places in our country where the number soars to 97%, which is by far a greater and more tragic number, but 60% is massive. 97,000 people are wandering, searching, looking and do not have a joy-filled relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, when I hear numbers such as those, I wonder, where did those numbers come up with? Who created those? And I had to stop myself and ask. It sounds like an older brother question. Because the honest reality is, do I really need to know if the data is 100% accurate? when the number of those without Jesus is pushing 50%. In that, in that moment, I've got to remind myself that even if the number is only 50% accurate, that's 50,000 people that calls the Father's heart, God the Father, his heart to ache. And it should do the same to mine. Do we ache does our heart ache for those who have not met the Redeemer? Our moment of redemption today has it all, doesn't it? Repentance, rescue, rejoicing, reviving, pride, anger, jealousy. Today, may we commit to rejoicing in redemption. Today, may we commit ourselves to a number, 60%, and allow it Allow that to cause our heart to ache because it grieves the heart of the Father. Today, ask yourself with transparency. Do you think your heart most resembles the father, the older brother, or the prodigal son? 
Because how we answer that question allows us to identify our next steps in responding to redemption. If we claim to have the heart of the Father, then we are full of rejoicing and redemption and we are ready to throw a party for the broken. But we're also inviting the prideful to a closer walk with Jesus Christ. If we're honest enough to admit that the heart of the older brother resonates, then our heart doesn't ache. It's grown hard and bitter, jealous. But it is still redeemable by God's grace. Jesus says, all that I have is still yours. If you're watching this and you say, without a doubt, I'm the prodigal son. I'm ready to take the first step of repentance. Then you can today. Just as told in this story by declaring, Father, I have sinned and start moving toward a relationship with Jesus. We are all a part of this story. It's time for redemption to push us into action, into repentance, into rejoicing and allowing our hearts to ache for our community, those who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me as we learn to rejoice and for our heart to ache for those without Him? God, I come to you today. I truly believe we each fit in one of those moments in this parable. God, there are moments that I must admit that the, the older brother questions are very fitting for me. Who invited them to the party? Do you know what they've done? those people. God, I remember the moment that I would resonate with the younger brother and, and my sin and shame come and know that a heavenly father greets me with grace. May I continue to grow in my faith so that faith, so that I have moments where I exhibit the joy, the redemption, and the rejoicing over those who do not know Jesus. And my heartache. God, thank you for allowing us to once again take steps of action because of redemption. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would happen to identify as that younger brother and you say, I'm in need of redemption, I'm in need of a Savior, Jesus Christ, Yes, you can follow the model that's given to us by Jesus himself in Luke 15. Father, I have sinned and begin a relationship with him. You can also reach out to me. It would be an honor. My email is just michael at richfork.com. I would love to walk with you and begin that journey of redemption. I'd love to put my arm around you and walk up the road and rejoice with you. Thanks for joining us.